that you're based on his heart and, and, and communicate that to us, that you'll help him and that he'll speak with power and passion and authority and that we will hear your word and be not those who, just who hear it but who do it. Amen. Wonderful. Good to see everyone. I'm James, if we've not met before. I'm one of the elders here at New Life. It's good to be here. We're um, in a series in Matthew, so if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 1, that's where we're going to be today, in verses 18 to 25. We thought we'd start, we just wanted to have a look at a gospel, really, we wanted to go all the way through it. We thought that might be a bit much, trying to do big, huge passages um, and speed through it in kind of 30 weeks or a year or so. Um, and we thought it'd just be better if we, we kept coming back to it. So we're going to do a series of mini-series. Um, it'll probably take us quite a long time to go through the gospel, probably five or six years or so. So we're going to keep coming back to Matthew, get really familiar with it. Um, and we're doing Matthew uh, chapters 1 to 2 um, and having a look at those. Uh, so do turn there if you've got a Bible. If not, don't worry, it'll pop up on the screen in a second. It's great news about the money raised for the building, isn't it? Incredible, isn't it? The singing about God doing the impossible. Um, and like Rod said, I doubt many of us really heard 100 grand and went, yeah, no props. Um, but we've raised well over 100 grand, isn't it? It's incredible, isn't it? Incredible. And exciting seeing the plans of God unfold in front of us, isn't it? It's one thing to say, you know, to hear prophetic words. It's another thing to see them actually happen, isn't it? I hope it's doing your hearts good. It's doing ours a ton of good. Um, the arrival of a baby changes life in a big way, doesn't it? Uh, I don't know if you've, um, you've had the pleasure of... and joy and privilege and sometimes difficulty of having children. Um, we've got a three and a five-year-old, a three-year-old girl and a five-year-old boy. Um, and babies change life in a really big way, don't they, when they first arrive. It's kind of chaotic. Maybe you've got family or friends who've had babies and you kind of see their lives kind of almost turned upside down. You know, as soon as you hear the news, the nesting starts, doesn't it? Walls get painted. I remember coming home one day just as like eight months pregnant with Moved into a house a month or two before. She's up a ladder painting a ceiling. <laughs> um, there's babies' clothes, uh, muslins everywhere. Uh, they kind of change life a little bit, don't they? I, don't, I think since the moment that the, uh, Sebi was born, I've never been more than 10 metres away from a wet wipe. It's just, they, they, I never thought of wet wipes before. Now I'm never too far away from one because they're a vital uh, essential in life. Um, sleep kind of affects your sleep, doesn't it? Eight hours, what's that? Hey, that's luxury, isn't it? Uh, maybe uh, the routine of life gets dictated by this little, you know, can't, can't speak, can't walk, can't really do very much yet, but it kind of like rules your, the routine of your life, doesn't it? When it gets fed, when it sleeps, uh, when it needs changing, uh, and so on. And you start speaking differently in this cute, baby, gargly kind of language that would never have been acceptable in any other circumstance before, you become on first name terms with your doctor and your midwife. Uh, you never knew who they were before, and now you see them all the time. And before, it was unimportant. Um, it was important that, you know, you looked reasonably respectable. Now, you just don't seem to care whether you've got vomit on you or not. And even to this day, I still get up with a little bit of blob of Florence's chewing my shoulder during worship. And uh, it just seems to become part of the norm. I don't think, oh, gosh, I should change my shirt because it's just standard. Just got stuff on me that I probably prefer not to have. Babies change life in a big way. And uh, we're going to see that in the passage today, that God's arrival into human life 
conceived by the Holy Spirit into Mary's womb, into Mary as a person, um, in the person of Jesus, and his arrival changes life in a big way. Changes life in a big way for Joseph and Mary. Big decisions are made differently. Um, And it makes a difference to us as Jesus arrives into our lives. If you become a Christian, decided to follow Jesus, Jesus arrived into your life and life changed. And because the arrival of babies do, don't they? Um, It can be good, but it's also difficult. It's transformative, but it can be really disruptive as well, can't it? And some of the things that this passage touches on are uncomfortable. They are uncomfortable, just to warn you. Some of the things I'm going to touch on today for some of us are going to be the da-da-da-da that Jane was talking about earlier. They're going to remind you of those moments. Um, for some of the things I'm going to touch on, I'm going to touch nerves with you, maybe things that have happened in the past. So should we pray for the Holy Spirit to come and help us with that? Lord, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that uh, you're the one who knows each of our hearts. You know our past, you know our present, you know our future. Uh, you know the comfort we need, you know the encouragement we need, you know the provocation and challenge we need. And I pray just now as we open up and simply look at what's here in your gospel as Jesus arrives on the scene, we pray you would help us think about the consequence of Jesus arriving into our lives as well. And you would help us work it out, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Great, should we get into the passage? Here it is. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, so like engaged, it was an official contract. It would happen about a year before they'd legally get married, consummate their marriage. Um, So they're betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just or a righteous man, And unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Uh, For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the giver of life, isn't he? Uh, At the beginning of creation, we kind of see the Holy Spirit brooding over the waters. And here the Holy Spirit is again, uh, just as he was in Genesis, here at the beginning of the new creation in Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who makes Jesus a real person in people's lives. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes Jesus a real person in Mary, literally in Mary, and to Mary and Joseph. Similarly, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes Jesus a real person to us. And perhaps if you're a Christian here today, you can remember that moment of kind of, whoa, and something just changed in your understanding, your perception. Suddenly, Jesus went from being some kind of objective, historical person that people sometimes talked about that you were unsure about, to, whoa, 
the real person to me, who loves me, who talks to me, who cares about me, who has plans for me, who is interested in my life, who is with me, and you sense his, his, the reality of his person in your life. Uh, one writer says this, the Spirit's main work is making Jesus a living person inside human life, bringing Jesus Christ into human lives. So why? It's all in his name. Jesus means Yahweh is salvation or God saves. Whatever we need help with, whatever situation we're going through, whatever it might be that we're struggling with, whether it's something sinful or wrong with us, or whether it's something that's sin or wrong done to us, Jesus comes to save us from our sins. How? It's all in his second name. Emmanuel, which means God with us. For those who've experienced Jesus as a real person in our lives, he is God with us. Ephesians 1 describes the Holy Spirit's presence in our life as um, the seal, the confirmation that Jesus has saved us from our sins and that we belong to him. So when we recognize our need to be saved, and we cry out to God, ask him to save us, the Holy Spirit makes him real in our lives. The question is, have, have you done this? Are you sitting here this morning as somebody who Jesus has been made real to? Or are you somebody who's kind of looking out and kind of looking in and wondering, is Jesus real? Maybe you hear Christians talk about their relationship with God in a way which kind of just feels a little bit at odds to how you experience it. He doesn't feel that near or close. I don't hear him speaking to me. I don't feel his comfort or his love in the same way then you'll hear this, and this is the way that Jesus arrives into your life. And when you come to him and ask him to be made real in your life, this is what you can expect. Because when Jesus comes into our life, he saves us, but also he goes on saving us, changing our life in significant ways. So let's have a look at, we're going to have a look at six ways in which Jesus' arrival into life in this passage affects our lives. And the first one's this, that we have dignity in place of shame. Mary would have felt shame. She would have been really shamed. Her and Joseph are in a binding contractual engagement that's only ended by death or divorce, which usually lasted a year before they married officially, moved in together, began having sexual relations, and consummated their marriage. Mary is a pregnant team, which isn't so unusual uh, culturally, but it, the pregnancy is unexpected. It's unplanned. It's outside of marriage. Big deal. Outside of marriage. Her child is going to be considered illegitimate. And every culture's got its own word, hasn't it? For a child that's born illegitimately or lives without a dad. They're pretty horrible names, usually. We've got our swear word bastard from that, haven't we? They're pretty horrible names. She, her child's going to grow up being called something like that. It's not the life that she had hoped for for her child. She's guilty in the eyes of others. She knows her innocence, but in everybody else's, else's eyes, she's committed sexual immorality. She's vulnerable to the shame of a public trial. What Joseph could do, legally in the law, she, he could put her on trial. People gathered, huge crowd, to hear how she sinned and to condemn her as an adulterer, as sinful. And they're poor. 
We know from another account that they can't afford the inn. They can't afford the, anything beyond the simplest temple offerings. She's going to struggle to raise the child alone as a single parent without help in a very different culture to ours. I wonder what you feel shame about. Maybe you had a, an unexpected or unplanned pregnancy. Maybe it was something that, about the way your child was conceived. Perhaps it was that you've had a miscarriage and suffered the grief and loss of an unborn child. Perhaps there's sexual immorality in your past that the devil keeps to try to remind you of. And just remember that you did that. Maybe it's uh, what you've been unable to provide for your children. Maybe it's even the circumstances of your own conception. What Joseph originally decides to do is to divorce Mary quietly just in front of a couple of witnesses as the law allows. So rather than this big public trial, he says, let's just do it. The law says we can just have two witnesses. Let's do it quietly. Let's move on. Let's not put her through that, not wanting to shame her further. But with Jesus' arrival and God's intervention in a dream, Joseph changes his decision and without complaint marries Mary. And in doing so, what Joseph does is he takes on Mary's guilt and shame partly on himself and restores some dignity to her rather than her just being the one guilty of sexual immorality. Now everybody else out there thinks that he is as well and he bears some of that shame for her to bring, restore her to some dignity. Sound familiar? This is what Jesus does when he arrives into our lives, isn't it? He restores dignity to us and removes shame. On the cross, Jesus takes all of our guilt and all of our shame because of the things we have done, all the things that have been done to us, and dies for them there. They're literally put to death so that we can be restored to some dignity. Whatever you feel shame about, whether that's something done in your past or something done to you, with Jesus' arrival into your life, that means it's been put to death and Jesus restores dignity to you. This is what it says in Isaiah 54, 4, about us as a church. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. Don't feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. When you feel a sense of shame and guilt, you need to remember that it's died on the cross. You've been restored to dignity in Jesus. Remind yourself of what you are in Christ. The second thing is, it brings Jesus' arrival brings freedom from worry about others' judgments. Jesus, uh, sorry, Jesus, Joseph could easily have been worried about other people's perceptions, couldn't he, and judgments of him. They would have assumed that he'd had sex with Mary before marriage. Or, if they suspected that she was the one who'd been unfaithful, perhaps they would think he was pathetic for continuing on with her, with a woman who's been unfaithful to him, and weak for not wanting to disgrace her publicly, as they perhaps think she should be. I wonder what are the temptations that we have ourselves um, that we're tempted to fear other, of, uh, in terms of other people's perceptions and judgments of us. What do you worry that others might think of you? Whose opinions, perhaps, do you care a little bit too much about? You think, I wonder what so-and-so would think of that if they heard about it, or if I did that. 
Maybe it's your parents or siblings. Maybe it's a partner. Maybe your children or your neighbours, your friends, your work colleagues, person in the street. The good news for us is that Jesus' arrival and God's intervention in our lives meant freedom for Joseph. Freedom from worry about what other people would think of him and their judgments of him. Because God's plan for Joseph is to be the adoptive father of the Son of God. (laughs) What everybody else thinks, he's about to become the adoptive father of the Son of God. There's not not, not many bigger deal things than that, is there? Yeah, this this is a good thing. Jesus' arrival into your life means you can be free from others' perceptions and judgments. God's judgment over you is the same as it is over Jesus. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. This is my son whom I love. That's what God says about you. You're my son, you're my daughter, whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. Don't worry about other people's judgments. When you, when they're, what they might think of you crowds on in, you need to remember what, what the Father said over you in Jesus' baptism, which is yours as you've been baptised into Christ. This is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. And when you hear that loudly, everybody else's perceptions and judgments of you will become a dither, a, a dim kind of sound in the background. The third thing it means is this. Hope for unborn children and their parents. Joseph's original decision was to have nothing to do with this unborn child, to abandon its mother and the child. This child's conception was not in his plans. The unborn child, frankly, was an inconvenience to him. It brought shame on him and his fiancée. And this unborn child was going to be born into difficult circumstances. An unexpected pregnancy out of a stable marriage, unwanted, poor, and to a single teen parent. This unborn child is God arriving into human life, literally into Mary, and also Joseph's life. And it's into these difficult circumstances that God enters in as Jesus I wonder what the circumstances of yours or your children's conception was. Was it like this? Was it out of marriage? Were you a single parent? Perhaps you had no parents. Was it an unstable relationship? Was it unexpected or unplanned? Was it into poverty? Or were you perhaps, or were your children unwanted? The good news is the gospel is that these are the circumstances into which Jesus arrives. These are the circumstances into which Jesus arrives. These are the circumstances into which the hope of the world is conceived. These are the circumstances into which God brings hope. It's an insight into how God thinks about unborn children. There's lots of passages in the scripture that help us with that. Here's Psalm 139. You may well be familiar with this. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, 
your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written the days that were formed for me. He plans out our days even in the womb. Luke 1, when Mary meets her uh, relative Elizabeth, the baby leaps for joy inside of her. In Jeremiah 1, God says to Jeremiah this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. From even before conception and throughout pregnancy, God is present and with us. He's Emmanuel. And Jesus' arrival into our lives means that there's hope for unborn children and their parents, whatever the circumstances of their conception. This is uh, timely, isn't it? We're surrounded by very loud pro-choice media. If you read certain British national broadcasters, the chances are that you're reading pro-choice literature all the time. Rowan Wade has just been overturned, hasn't it? We've had protests at Glastonbury. It can be easily... Abortion can be an easily confusing and disorienting topic. What about X and what about Y and what if this happens and what about in this situation or circumstance? And they're big questions and we don't have time to answer them all now. But it's important that in the gospel we begin here with the gospel conviction that unborn children matter to God and there's hope for them and their parents and then work from there as we try to answer the difficulties and the genuine challenges and the heartache of those situations. Some of us perhaps have miscarried children or had an abortion ourselves and suffered the grief and loss and the death of an unborn child, perhaps silently. Perhaps you felt like you couldn't talk about it. Perhaps you felt you couldn't talk to anyone or uh, didn't want to make a big deal of it. No children, no funeral, let's not make a fuss. Um, and actually the media can create a culture where that's kind of the norm. The folks not here in the church. Some of you have miscarried. It's genuine pain, isn't it? Painful. It's not just a, a fetus that's been removed that you would rather have kept. That's, that's your child. God was forming that child in your womb. That child's life didn't just matter to you. It mattered to God as well. It mattered to him. He knew. You might not have felt like you could talk about it to anybody else. You can talk about it to him and just say, no, you're free to talk about the grief and the pain of it here as well. It's not the kind of thing we need to hide from one another, like it's unimportant. That life mattered. Uh, There's lots more uh, questions, uh, much more to say on this issue. We don't have time really to fully deal with them now, but I realise it might have raised some questions in your mind. I'm really happy to talk those through. If you're thinking, well, what about this and that and that? Just send us an email. I'd love to go for coffee and and talk them through and and discuss it a bit more fully. One of the answers to some of those questions is the next point, that we're adopted into family. Joseph intended to leave Mary and abandon her and the child. But Jesus' arrival and God's intervention in his life meant that he adopted the child and became its legal adoptive father. 
And through Joseph's family tree, if you remember the genealogy, it's through Joseph that Jesus becomes the son of David, the one who fulfills God's promises made to David of God's forever king. Legal fathers in this culture had responsibility for naming children. And so Joseph is told to name him Jesus. I wonder how you think of adoption. Uh, Perhaps you were adopted yourself or you know somebody who was. Maybe you're thinking about adoption and fostering. Joseph's adoption of Jesus is not something that's unproper. It's not an illegitimate situation. It's not because I feel sorry for the kid. It's not second choice. Shame it had to happen this way. No, adoption is just how God decided to enter into human life to save people from their sins. What we know is then that adoption is at the heart of God. Adoption is at the heart of God. And Jesus' arrival into our lives is the Father's adoption of us as his children. It says that in Romans, doesn't it? And so we can cry out, Abba, Father, because he's adopted us, spiritual orphans, into his family. Jesus uh, says this in Matthew 13. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man, the king, um, sorry, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Sometimes we read that those stories a little bit back to front. They do apply both ways. But I think Jesus is actually saying that God is that man. God is that merchant who gives up everything to adopt us, his people, into his family. To adopt you into his family. Gives up everything. Gives up his son, Jesus, to die on a cross, rise again from the dead, so that you could be adopted into his family. Um, I'm really challenged by reading this book, and I recommend it if you're thinking about adoption and fostering, just you want to know more about it, or you think it might be a possibility in the future. So it's called Home for Good by Krish Kandia. He um, shares the really heartbreaking fact at the start of this book, that if one family in every church in the UK adopted just one child, there would be no children at all in the care system. That's pretty sobering, isn't it? One child in every church was adopted into a family. There would be no need for a care system in our country. Uh, The other next thing is that natural assumptions are reversed. Um, Joseph, in this situation, has actually got really good intentions, hasn't he? He wants to quietly do things so that Mary isn't shamed. Like I said earlier, he wants to bear some of the guilt and shame with her. It's out of love and compassion for Mary he makes this decision. He's doing what... um, He's making the decision, um, naturally assuming that it's the right thing to do. He's he's a just man, as he's he's described. Um, And his natural inclination would would have been to do this, just divorce her quietly. His natural inclination would have been to have sex with Mary once they married Instead, he has a celibate wedding night. He's making some big decisions here. He would have naturally assumed that Mary had been unfaithful and, and got pregnant as a result of that. And instead, he believes that the Holy Spirit has conceived 
the child. He would have assumed, along with most Jews, that the promised Messiah king would arrive gloriously and re-establish David's political kingdom. But everything that David had assumed and was part of his natural inclination and part of his natural assumptions were reversed. Because when Jesus arrives into life, you reevaluates everything in your life, the way you feel, the way you think, the decisions you make, the way you typically behave. And Joseph makes a different decision. I wonder, what are the big decisions that you're making in life at the moment? Where you live? Maybe big family decisions. Maybe it's got to do with children or with grandchildren. Perhaps it's about jobs, schooling, and so on. Because we can, with good reason, good intentions, out of love and compassion for others, make decisions, can't we? And that's a normal thing to do, isn't it? And there's nothing, there's no judgment on Joseph in this passage for doing that. But what does happen is that he reevaluates everything in light of Jesus' arrival and he makes decisions he wouldn't have normally. And it can be tempting sometimes, can't it, to kind of drift into ways of thinking, feelings, big decisions on the basis of our natural inclinations and assumptions with really good intentions, with heart, with the kind of a heart of love at the root for good reasons, assuming they're in line with God's plans. And sometimes the Jesus' arrival into our life means the reversal of these. It can lead to some surprising, unexpected turns in life, like it did for Joseph. The decisions in life, because God reveals his plans to us, end up being different to what we had expected. And Joseph is called righteous or just. And part of that, I think, not just because he's following the law in the passage, I think partly is because he's sensitive to the will of God. He's got an open ear to what God wants for his life. He could have just gone ahead and done what he was going to do. But he was sensitive to the will of God vertically and he was sensitive to the will of other, uh, to the impact it had on others like Mary. And that's how we're to be in our decision making. Rather than drifting into decisions which made with good intentions, etc., etc., sometimes we need to pause and just say, God, is this something that you want for my life? Speak to me and just confirm that we're heading in the right direction here. Give him opportunity to turn you around and reverse the decision and do something different you hadn't thought of. That's really important because otherwise we can drift into things that are good. There's no problem with it. But actually, sometimes God has really surprising, unexpected plans for us instead. And the final thing is this. The arrival of Jesus in our life takes us from being asleep to actively obedient. In the passive passage, Joseph is asleep. He's unaware of God's plans to fulfill his promises through this child, and he's inactive as a result. It's possible for us sometimes, I just felt this prophetically, I don't know that the passage really is pointing this out, but as I was preparing, I was like, I think God wants to say this to some of us, that it's possible to be a bit sleepy in the Christian life, isn't it? To have kind of dozed off on God's plans for your life, and you're kind of just going through the motions, but perhaps here every Sunday really faithfully, maybe even serving in some key area, but you're kind of just going through the motions, a bit asleep to God's plans and promises to you. I wonder how that, if that's you, is that your walk with God at the moment? 
Because Jesus' arrival into Joseph's life leads to instant, concrete, simple, unspectacular, humble, obedient action. And it leads Joseph to taking responsibility. So I wonder, what's God taking, asking you to take responsibility for? What's he waking you up to? What have you fallen asleep to in life that he wants to wake your spirit up to? Maybe there's things in the background, that hopes that you'd had, plans that you kind of thought about for a time but seem to have grown dim and you're asleep on. God wants to wake them up in your heart, make you alive to things that he's spoken about before and reawaken you to them. If Jesus has arrived into your life, he wants to wake you up to his plans and prompt in you, like Joseph, humble, active obedience. Uh, Does the band want to come back up and we're going to respond? We're just going to stay still for a minute. Um, Just aware. There was quite a lot in that preach. I really wish I could have done a series on that passage. (laughs) I could have spent a whole preach on every one of those points. As I've spoken... I've probably touched on some things. Those da-da-da-da moments that Jane was talking about. And uh, so we want to respond to those. I I have no idea what they might be, but the Holy Spirit is aware, isn't he, of what's going on in our hearts and wants to help us think those things through. So should we still ourselves for a minute? Maybe we can play something but not sing for the minute. Lord Jesus, we uh, ask you to send your spirit now, just to come and speak to us. We thank you, Lord, you're the knower of our hearts. Nothing in our hearts is hidden to you. Our hearts are open to you. We might like at times to shut you off, but Lord, pray by your Holy Spirit, come and soften us now. Uh, just make our hearts supple to what you want to say to us. Open us up to what your spirit is doing in us. something with you for other people and you want to bring it in a second 
Some of us might have some prophetic words that might speak into people's specific situations. Maybe just come and share them with Rod. We can bring them in a second. Just felt that there was uh, somebody here that, um, when it comes to making decisions, the thing that are family-related, there's a relative of yours um, that makes you tense. Every time you've got to organize some sort of family occasion, no matter how simple it is, you, you get on edge and tense and, want, and tend to get quite snappy with the people around you because you're worried about what might happen and what they might say and how they might reply on the text or email or however it's being organized. And you get all pent up. And... Uh, God just wants to say, you can be free of that. You can be free of that. It's my judgment on how you treat your family that matters. Live your life before me. I'm your audience of one. You needn't worry about others. Impress them. Make sure you've made the right decision. Try and manage and control things so things don't erupt. All I'm asking from you is simple obedience under my banner of love. You're my son, you're my daughter, you're my love. And with you I'm always well pleased. that there are some of us here who know that this sleep thing is relevant to us. Perhaps you just know that your heart has been more on fire for what God wants you, the way he wants you to live your life and the things that he's given you to do and things have just grown a bit dull but you feel a little bit just unsure how to kind of make headway with it. Just feel a bit, perhaps a bit weary, a bit tired. The Lord wants to remind us of that passage where he says um, that he doesn't grow weary. And uh, there are those, I think it's in Isaiah 40-something, that he brings strength, doesn't he, to the weary. You wait on the presence of the Lord. It's his spirit that will wake you up. What he doesn't want you to do is try and manage it in your own strength. Don't think, I just need to, like be a bit self-motivated and do it in my own strength kind of, you know, if I'm just a bit more self-controlled and disciplined, it'll happen he wants to say, just come and rest in my presence just spend a bit of time with me as your dad, as your father in heaven, and I'll restore your strength I'll renew your strength the weariness that you feel will go it's time with me that you need I wonder if that's you, just maybe raise your hands to the Lord where you're sat and let's pray for you.
Our Holy Spirit, we pray, come on us. If we're feeling like that, if we're just feeling a bit wearied, if we're feeling a bit asleep to your plans for us, we thank you that your arrival into our life means we don't just have to take matters into our own hands and do it in our own strength. But the good news is you renew our strength. By your spirit, you help us. And so we pray, help us spend time with you. And when we do, Lord, come and revive us, come and strengthen us for the things that you have planned. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.